Thank you, Stephanie. Psalm 116. In your Bibles this morning, Psalm 116, all of our young people, sixth grade and down, being dismissed for Children's Church with Mr. Paul, Mr. Luke. I got asked last week if I overheard all of the ruckus going on in children's church or master clubs, and I was like, I didn't hear a thing. Maybe some of you sitting towards the back hear it, but uh, to me, that's a a sweet sound. It's okay. Uh, If our young people are learning that it's uh, fun, the things of God are enjoyable and fun to go to church and something to look forward to, then I can stand a little extra noise, okay? was grateful for something that Brother Dustin mentioned in his prayer when he opened the service this morning, and it relates to the thoughts for the message that I believe God has directed my heart towards this morning. I'd been preparing to preach a message on forgiveness and may yet, but I would like to preach a message this morning entitled Thoughts on Death. Dustin mentioned this in his prayer that um, as a church we have faced a significant amount of that recently. Even as you think back, not just over the last few weeks, Marshall and Beverly Morgan going to be with the Lord, even so come Lord Jesus within 10 days of each other. Mark Sullivan, one of the most faithful good men that many of us have ever met, now in the presence of the Lord Jesus, thought about Omi. A few months ago, thought about Pastor Hatcher, Jimmy Kincaid, Gene Ferguson, and Jenny. For a church our size and our age in the last couple of years, we've looked death in the face a number of times. I want you to know as we think about thoughts on death this morning, uh, that I'm not being morbid, I'm not being foreboding. It's none of that at all. We've been forced in the last couple of weeks in particular to come face to face with the reality of death. But I want us to understand the importance of planning for it and thinking intentionally about it. We live in a world where death is shoved to the back of our thinking. But death is a reality. And let me say this as well throughout the course of the message Um, I want to make it clear that I'm in no way seeking to minimize or to limit legitimate human sorrow. God made us with emotions. He made us that way. And when a loved one passes, a void is left that cannot be filled. In a human sense. I'm glad to say that our God is the father of the orphan. And he's the husband of the widow. But I want us to follow the psalmist's example. Many of you may have already guessed the verse that we're going to consider. Verse number 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That makes no sense, humanly speaking. And that's why it's important that the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so the goal for us is to seek biblical guide 
guidelines or a biblical recalibration of our thoughts or our perspective on death so that we more and more come to view death the way God views death. Okay. It's significant to me too that Psalm 116 is in the middle of a section of psalms that for centuries have been called the Hallel or the Hallelujah Psalms. The prayer and praise psalms that Jews would sing before the Passover feast. And interestingly enough, some Bible students believe that Jesus and his disciples may well have sang the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118, the night that they had the Last Supper and Christ went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Imagine that, if you would. Jesus and the disciples in the upper room and Jesus with the disciples singing precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He who was about to go to the cross and die, he who was about to go to the cross and pay the penalty of death for all sin, he who was about to go to the cross and defeat death through the cross and the resurrection. I think it's important for God's people to be forthright about their position and their view of death because the world has a lot to say about death. Okay, they got their opinions on it. And sometimes they can be kind of humorous. In 1979, a good housekeeping magazine interviewed children and they asked them about dying in heaven. And it was amazing some of the answers that they got. I'm not vouching for the truthfulness of all of these. But a little boy named Alan at the age of seven said, God doesn't tell you when you're going to die because he wants it to be a big surprise. <laughs> Aaron, age eight, said, the hospital is the place where people go on their way to heaven. Raymond, age 10, said, a good doctor can help you so you won't die. A bad doctor sends you to heaven. (laughs) Stephanie, age 9, said, doctors help you so you won't die until you pay all their bills. (laughs) You don't agree with that, do you, doc? No. Marsha, age nine, said, when you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there, too. (laughs) Kevin, age 10, is very courageous in his view of death. He said, I'm not afraid to die. I'm a Boy Scout. And then Ralph, age eight, was quoted to have said, when birds are ready to die, they just fly to heaven. Kids have their view. George Bernard Shaw, who was an agnostic, even recognized the inevitability of death. Statistics are in one in one people are going to die. Joan Welsh, who I believe was a politician in the Northeast a number of years ago, said, we've all heard about the only two certainties in life, death and taxes, quoting Ben Franklin. However, death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets like taxes do. (laughs) Whatever thoughts others may have about death, I want you to understand this morning that God's people have an assurance like no one else about how to face death. 
Whatever thoughts we must have about death must be grounded in Scripture. I want the perspective of the Apostle Paul in my own life in Philippians chapter 1. That I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. And to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want the perspective of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? I want the perspective of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. I want the perspective of the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter number 4. The time of my departure is at hand and I'm ready. So death is very much on all of our minds these past few weeks and even the last couple of years. We need God's view. And this is why a single verse like Psalm 116 and verse number 15 is so vital for us. I want you to notice first of all that death is very much perspective. It is a contrast between man's perspective of death or God's perspective of death. We have a choice to make. Are we going to view death man's way? Or are we going to view death God's way? Man views death as terminal. The Bible teaches us that death is transitional. Man views death as a stop, an end. But the Bible pictures death as a separation, several different kinds of death. Physical death, the separation of the spirit and soul from the body. The second death, the separation eternally of the Christ rejecter from God. The world may view death as ceasing to be, but the Bible pictures death as a change, an eternal change. And let me just say this, though our perspective or our message this morning is primarily directed to us as believers... Let me just say this, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, in the midst of all this conversation, I want you to understand that if you do not know Christ as Savior, that death is not the end for you either. It is a transition. And I would be no friend or preacher of integrity if I did not tell you, based on the authority of God's Word and the the words of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, That if a person dies without Christ as Savior, their destiny is eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. You say, Pastor, I don't like that. I don't either. But it's the truth. Okay. And let me say this. People can get offended and upset about it. People get offended and upset about it. But here's what I want you to understand. Nobody has to go there. Okay. Nobody has to go there person goes there because they send away their day of grace, their opportunity to accept Christ. As it relates to believers, we think about death as perspective. I'm reminded of several word pictures that the Apostle Paul gives to help us understand or comprehend death. I mentioned 2 Corinthians 5. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, our tent, this old tent, and I said this at the funeral yesterday for Mark, In that casket was an old, worn-out tent that had served its purpose. 
for this life. And now God has taken Mark Sullivan home to his eternal mansion. So death is a move from the temporal to the eternal. I love this. John Milton, the English poet, said, Death is the great key that opens the palace of eternity. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul likened death to a voyage. The time of my departure is at hand. And I like what one preacher said, even as in this life we're saying goodbye, God and his people in heaven are on the other side saying welcome home. Okay. In 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul likened death when he used the word change to metamorphosis, how a, a, a an inchworm will spin itself into a larva and then come out, though fundamentally the same, yet altered in a new form. And that worm will, through the larva, come out as a butterfly. By the way, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul also likened death for the child of God to a hornet that has had its stinger removed. No Long-term harm for the child of God. The psalmist David in Psalm 23 likened death to a shadow. He didn't say, yea, though I walk through the valley of death. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Spurgeon said, just as the shadow of a fist cannot strike and the shadow of a gun cannot shoot and the shadow of a sword cannot kill. So for the child of God, death is just a shadow. It is a temporary passageway to light on the other side. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 likened death, physical death, to the pains of birth. For the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. We've had some groaning and travailing lately. We've seen it in the loved ones who have gone on to glory. We've done some of our own groaning and weeping and crying. But all of that is something that the Spirit of God stirs within us so that we long all the more for hope. He likens death to birth. One author said it this way in drawing a comparison between birth and death. It seems a strange comparison to draw. But he says this, reflect a few moments on the poignant analogy between birth and death. Each of our individual deaths can be seen as a birth. Imagine what it would be like if you had full consciousness as an infant about to be born and could now remember those sensations. We can have a doctor describe it to us, the somewhat relative trauma, the pain and the travail of the mother, and it's a good thing babies can't remember it. But he goes on to say this, your world is dark, safe, secure. You're bathed in warm liquid, cushioned from shock. You do nothing for yourself. You are fed automatically and a murmuring heartbeat assures you that someone larger than you fills all your needs. Your life consists of simple waiting. You're not sure what to wait for, but any change seems far away and scary. You meet no sharp objects, no pain, no threatening adventures, a fine existence in mother's womb. Yeah. 
One day, you feel a tug. The walls are falling in on you. Those soft cushions are now pulsing and beating against you, crushing you downwards. Your body is bent double, your limbs twisted and wrenched. You're falling upside down. For the first time in your life, you may feel pain. You're in a sea of roiling matter. There is more pressure, almost too intense to bear. Your head is squeezed and you are pushed harder, harder into a dark tunnel. All the pain, noise, more pressure. How many of you are sitting there thinking, I can't believe I went through that? (laughs) You hurt all over. You hear a groaning sound and an awful sudden fear rushes in on you. It is happening. Your world is collapsing. You're sure it's the end. You see a piercing, blinding light. Cold, rough hands pull at you. A painful slap. (laughs) Congratulations, you've just been born. And then he says, in all seriousness, death is like that. On this end is the birth canal. It seems fearsome, portentous, and full of pain. Death is a scary tunnel, and we are being drawn toward it by a powerful force. But on the other side is life. Paul also used the analogy of sleep. To picture death for the child of God. Jesus spoke of death as sleep in John 11. And we read 1 Thessalonians 4 to open our service this morning. I like the illustration that the Scotch Presbyterian preacher Peter Marshall used years ago. He told the story of a mother seeking to comfort her little boy who was terminally ill. And the little boy asked his mother one day with a little fear in his voice, Mommy, what is death like? He had an awareness that it was around the corner for him because of his terminal illness. And as you can imagine, a mother's heartache as she grasps at how to explain what is very inevitable for her little boy. And the thought of this came to her mind. She said, sweetheart, do you know how it has been when you've played hard all day long and you come in at the end of the day and after supper you fall asleep on the couch? And then unexplained to you at the time. When you wake up the next morning, you're no longer on the couch. You're in the other room waking up in your own bed. She said, that's what death is like. We go to sleep in this life and we wake up in our heavenly home. Death is perspective. And I'll tell you this, as we insist on keeping this perspective... It will help us in this life, how we talk to others. Listen, we live in a world of people who have false ideas about death. They want to ignore death. And you and I have the only right answer. Death is perspective, precious in the sight of the Lord. But I want you to notice, secondly, death is planned. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Death is planned according to God's big plan. God has harnessed the reality of death as the consequence of sin, get this, so that we don't have to live forever under the curse of sin. How many of you want to just keep getting older and older and older and older? 
and watch the curse of sin wreak its havoc on your body. I've told you this story before, but we don't even have to be older in order to understand we don't want to live that way. Judson was four years old, and I went up to tuck him in bed one night, and he had had a bad bike accident that day and had a scuff here, 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 and on both knees, and I think he had bummed a tooth, too. I said, how you feeling, buddy? He goes, Dad, I need a new body. (laughs) Four years old, he had that one figured out. Though death, in a theological sense, is an enemy... And I'm going to touch on this again in a moment. God has conquered it and repurposed it. So that for us it becomes a part of his big plan. It's how we get out of this sin-cursed life into an eternal glorified state. Now, to be honest about the context, to be forthright, Verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 116. The psalmist said, The sorrows of death compassed me about, and the pains of hell or death gat hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. The psalmist is referring to times when he had faced the danger of death and God had delivered him from it. But he also understood that there is a time and appointment that is inevitable for all of us. Now, the lesson for us is this, is not only death is planned in the sense that it's a part of God's big plan as a solution to the effects of the curse, it's how we get into a glorified eternal state, but God is the giver and the taker of life. So that, as one man said years ago, the child of God is indestructible until God is finished with him in this life. So live by faith. Live fearlessly for the Lord. Death is planned, and therefore it's a tremendous advantage to us as humans. The knowledge of death, even to unsaved people, the knowledge of death to unbeliever and believer alike, can I say this, is a gift of God's mercy. We are the only of all of God's animate creation that have eternal souls and have an awareness that death is inevitable. Animals don't know it. One man said this, by the way, a secular author. Man alone has foreknowledge of his coming death. And possessing this foreknowledge has a chance, if he chooses to take it, of pondering over the strangeness of his destiny. He has at least a possibility of coping with it. Now, remember, this man's an unbeliever. Since he is endowed with the capacity to think about it in advance and to face it and to deal with it in some way that is worthy of human dignity, obviously there's a lot that we could add to that. But it is the mercy of God that we know that one in one people die. And therefore, the opportunity to prepare for it. There is no avoiding our appointment. An old legend tells of a merchant in Baghdad who one day sent his servant to the market 
Before very long, the servant came back, white and trembling, and in great agitation said to his master, Down at the market I was jostled by an individual in the crowd, and when I turned around I saw it was death that jostled me. Death looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Master, please lend me your horse, for I must hasten away to avoid death. I will ride to Samara, and there I will hide, and death will not find me. The merchant lent his servant his horse, and the servant galloped away in great haste. Later the merchant went down to the marketplace and saw death standing in the crowd. He went over to death and asked, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make that threatening gesture? That was not a threatening gesture, death said. It was only a start of surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samar. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And so at the practical level, plan for it. I said it yesterday, and I'll say it again to all of us who are living. (laughs) You, by the way you're living right now, are giving a preacher the material with which he will preach your funeral. If you've trusted Christ as Savior or not. Let me just tell you something. One of the most agonizing funerals a preacher will ever preach is a funeral for someone that did not give a clear testimony of salvation in Christ. I mean, I have preached several of them and it makes me nauseous. Nauseous. Trust Christ as your Savior. And then, if you're a child of God, if you have, then live like one. Be clear in your testimony of Christ's preeminence in your life. Death is perspective. Death is planned. Number three. By the way, let me just say this. These three funerals, these three deaths, There was in a, in a very true sense, joy. Because Marshall and Beverly Morgan and Mark Sullivan not only knew Christ and testified and witnessed of Christ, but they lived like Jesus in the life they had. Number three, death is precious. Death is precious. The word means costly. It means heavy in weight. So when the scripture tells us that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of its saints, his saints, it means it's weighty. It's a big deal to God. It's of great significance to him. We could say it this way, death figure, the death of a saint figures prominently in God's plan. One commentator said this, he who shows up for the funeral of every sparrow that falls takes note in far greater significance the death of a saint. Why is death precious in the sight of the Lord? Obviously, we're pulling in New Testament to this as well. But remember that this was written under inspiration, and so the Holy Spirit of God is the author of this, and He knows about all that's coming. 
Death is precious in the sight of the Lord because when a saint dies and passes into the presence of the Lord, it was made possible because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross 2,000 years ago. The price that he paid to remove the sting of death to turn the intentions of Satan upon its head. Hebrews chapter number 1 speaks of the devil as the one who had the power of death and in so doing, keeping people under the grip of the fear of death all their lives long. But Jesus Christ came and in his death, he broke the power of death through his subsequent resurrection. It's costly because Jesus with his blood paid the ransom price, with his resurrection gained eternal life for all of us. I use the term repurposed death, death which is an enemy, death which was a tool to keep people under the grip of fear, death is the consequence of sin. God for the believer through the work of Jesus' cross has repurposed death. So that every time a saint dies, it becomes an application of and a testimony of the infinite worth of the death and the shed blood and the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can almost imagine God the Father and God the Son standing at the entrance to heaven when Marshall, Beverly, and Mark passed in. And God the Father and God the Son looking at each other and saying, the agony of the cross, it was worth it to see Marshall and Beverly and Mark come home. It, It was worth it. Jesus, listen, Jesus' perspective is his death was worth it. The precious blood that he shed, as Peter said, it was worth it for the entrance of an individual saint into the presence of God. I had never seen this before in preparation for the message. Notice the text. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His... What's the word? Saints. The word saints here translates the same Hebrew word or related Hebrew word that we often see in the Old Testament translated mercy or loving kindness. The chesed, the covenant love of God. This is a, a, a form of it in reference to a person. In other words, a saint is one who's been mercied in. A saint is one who's been graced in. Not by anything that they did, but only through their faith in the finished work of Christ. Let me just say this, as much as the Father finds pleasure in the death of his saints and it's precious to him because of the cost and the dividends that it brings every time a saint comes home, the Bible does tell us that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked or the unbeliever. Why? Why no pleasure Not because of an angry, vindictive perspective, but because, I believe more than anything, because that was one who missed or rejected his offer. 
one who passed by the opportunity. It's a grief to the heart of God. Death is perspective. Death is planned. Death is precious. And fourthly and finally, and I say praise the Lord to this, death is prospect. Death is the believers going home to God. I've asked myself this question lately, and I've heard several of you voice the same. How can you be homesick for a place you've never been? (laughs) You know what I say? Because I got a third of the Trinity living inside of me. And he's stirring this longing for home. And every day I open the Word of God and the Spirit of God helps me to commune with Jesus Christ. I get my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ all the more, and I just want to see him face to face. You say, Pastor, you're young. you got a lot of life left. As far as I know, I do. As far as I know. But I think too often, if we're not careful, we get too tied down here, too comfortable here. Someone said this to me this week, that it's actually a blessing that every once in a while, God lets a fellow believer from our ranks go on to heaven. Because if nobody ever died, we would never be homesick for heaven. Now, obviously, the greatest cause of our homesickness is the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be there, be free from this sin-cursed body. But I'll be totally transparent with you. I think about walking in the gates of heaven and the reunions. Death is prospect. Look at Paul in Philippians. (laughs) I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to part and be with Christ. Uh, That's far better. I'm ready to be offered. Biblically, in the sight of the Lord, death is not viewed as a fatalistic escape or end. It's viewed as a finish line. A finish line of this life's course and race for Christ. It's viewed as a reunion. It's viewed as finally entering into what God intended for us. It's viewed as an exclamation point to God's completed work in our lives. Well done instead of medium rare. I thought about that this morning. You know what? In all seriousness, I don't want to get to heaven and find out that my life was only half done according to what God intended because I had been too tied down here. Now, let me just say this. As we bring this to a conclusion, this motivates us to live, to live for Christ. I read a little quip about a man. His name wasn't given. Let me just say this preface by saying we're not just to pass our time waiting on heaven. God's left us here for a reason. Okay? And so let's live, let's live full on for Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's not just hang on. Let's shine the light. When I read of a man that said this, there was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked, he never tried, he never sang or prayed. And when one day he passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claimed he never died. (laughs) I read about a 
lady who had passed up many opportunities to be married. And the epitaph on her tombstone supposedly said this, Here lies the bones of Mary Jones, for her life had no terrors. She lived an old maid, she died an old maid, no runs, no hits, no errors. But for me to live is Christ. For to me to live is Christ. Let me just say this. It is in living life to the fullest for Christ that death becomes the most meaningful and the greatest prospect for the child of God. I'm going to say it one more time, okay? Concluding statement. It is in living life to the fullest for Christ that death becomes the most meaningful and greatest prospect for the child of God. Perspective, death is planned, death is precious, death is prospect. I close with the words to a song. A poem was written in 1832 by a Frenchman named Cesar Milan. It was translated into English in the late late, uh, 1800s by a man who wanted it sang in his funeral. There are modern renditions of it and some of the associations I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but it has an old basis in the 1800s. It is not death to die, to leave this weary road and join the saints who dwell on high, who found their home with God. It is not death to close the eyes long dimmed by tears, And wake in joy before your throne delivered from our fears. It is not death to fling aside this earthly dust and rise with strong and noble wing to live among the just. It is not death to hear the key unlock the door that sets us free from mortal years to praise you evermore. Oh, Jesus Conquering the grave, your precious blood has power to save. Those who trust in you will in your mercy find that it is not death to die. Death is perspective. Death is planned. It is precious. And it is our prospect to live as Christ and to die is gain. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, Jesus is saying to you through his word and the spirit, come, come. That is the first step of preparation for the inevitable. If you're here today and you know Christ as Savior, I trust that we will go forward looking at death from God's perspective. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you have challenged my heart in preparation for this message over the last few days. Lord, I ask you that if there is one or more here today that has a question mark over their heart about where they'll spend eternity, they're not sure about their relationship with Christ as Savior and the forgiveness of their sins, having received him as their sin-bearing substitute, I pray that they would recognize the words of the Apostle Paul as 
applying in their lives, today is the day of salvation. And then, Lord, for believers, I pray that it would be the longing of our hearts to see Jesus face to face. And to see death as a transition from the temporal to the eternal. A metamorphosis, a a birth, going on a voyage and arriving at an eternal destination. Going to sleep in this life and waking up in the presence of the Lord Jesus. In the meantime, help us to say with the Apostle John and Marshall Morgan... Even so, come Lord Jesus. I pray these things in Christ's name.